this morning. today. Amen. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord? Thank you, Brother Locke, for that message. Great reminder. A great reminder of how good, how sweet it is to be in the presence of the Lord. We don't have to worry when we're in the presence of the Lord. Amen. You know, with everything going on, and, and uh, it's the, I guess they'd say the elephant in the room. You know, it's hard to get up without addressing it. But uh, it was interesting, I was reading in Matthew 24, famous passage of scripture, when the disciples were asking Jesus about the end of time, they're saying, when is it going to happen? So Jesus starts going down the list, the checklist, when you see this happen, when you see this happen, when you see this happen. One of the things he mentions is pestilence. If you look at a modern day synonym for pestilence, it's pandemic. So Jesus would say, when you see these things begin to happen, he said, this is the beginning of sorrows. But then he says that not too long after we see these things come to pass, that we will look up and see his coming. He said, when you see these things come to pass, he said, it's near, he said, even at the door, even at the door. So I think if we could just see past our worries here today to what's at the door, what's just on the other side of our problems, our worry, our stress, we wouldn't worry so much. I'm thankful that he's coming back for a church that has made themselves ready. Amen. I think we ought to rejoice at the coming of the Lord. Jesus said he's coming back for those that love his appearing, that love his appearing. How many of you here today love it? How many of you here today are excited about it? I think we ought to rejoice just for a few moments. We are so thankful, Jesus. Amen. So that's why we can smile about it. That's why we can be excited. We've got something great just on the other side of the door. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for braving it out today and coming in. The Lord's going to bless you for that. If you'll stand with me, I'm going to go into the Word this morning. If you would open your Bible with me to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 7. Pastor Phil and Sister Taylor are out of town. I don't know if he's going to watch this, but uh, thank you, Pastor Phil, if you watch this, if you're watching, for letting me speak here today. I figure two things. Either he trusts me while he's gone, or he's hoping I finally say something that gives him permission to kick me out of here. So, so I'll try to do the. I'll try to give him reason to trust me today. So, how many is going to help me preach today? All right. John chapter seven, starting with verse number thirty-seven. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, "If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink." He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. 
Verse number 39 identifies what he's talking about here. It says, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Today, by the help of the Lord, I want to speak to us on this thought, our greatest need, our greatest need. Why don't you give somebody an elbow bump next to you, tell them it's good to see them this morning. Our greatest need. Somebody say our greatest need. We live in a society, and it is especially the case in our Western mindset, where we often feel we need certain things, when in fact we really don't need it. Think of the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. How many truly needed it? I was talking with a friend last night, a friend of mine who lives in Utah, and he went to just, he's a Gun, uh, guns are his hobby. He has a whole arsenal. So he decided he wanted to go buy this new shotgun. So he went to go buy the gun yesterday, and he said the shelves were bare and empty. He said he, he bought the shotgun. He was talking to the attendant there, and the attendant told him, the guy working behind the counter, that within a span of about three hours, they had sold close to 40 or 50 firearms within three hours. He said he'd never seen anything like it. There were a lot of people there yesterday, apparently, that felt they needed to buy that. They needed it. You ever, as a child, you wanted something so bad, your mom or your dad told you no, and you said, but I need it. I need that certain thing. It's tough to pass up on a new item of which you have interest, especially when that item is on sale. How many knows how that feels? You see it on sale? If it says $19.99, it's on sale because it's not $20, it's $19.99. One of the most dangerous times of year is Black Friday. Now it's pandemic day, but used to be it was Black Friday. The day after Thanksgiving, that's when all the deals hit just before Christmas. You go get that new computer, that new uh, TV, that new video gaming um, console, new shoe or clothing item, whatever it is. We often find ourselves in these cases buying things that we probably don't truly need. Somebody say need. Because in the moment, it's hard to resist. But when we stop to consider it, need, I want you to understand here today, need is an extreme word. Need takes it to the extreme. It's not something that you would like to have. But when we say we need something, it means something to the extreme. Need is defined as to require something because it is essential or very important. It's essential to you. Circumstances in which something is necessary and a course of action is required. So if you need something, it's necessary in most cases for you to survive. We, as human beings, we need water. We need food in order to survive, right? We need these things. Sometimes we eat a little too much food. We don't need as, you know, we don't need the golden crowd buffet. 
but we do need nutrients. We need vitamins in certain cases. So we understand need is an extreme word. To say we need something means we require it. It's essential for our survival, and action must be taken to obtain it. So it is with this understanding of the extreme word need, by the help of the Lord this morning, I bring to you this message. Church, we need the Holy Ghost. We need a moving of the Holy Ghost in order to survive. It's essential for our survival as a church that His Spirit meets us here each and every time the doors are open. Somebody say it with, it, with me. We need it. We need a miraculous outpouring and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. It's essential, and without it, this church will dry up and die. I don't say that lightly. I'm not just saying that to get a rise out of you. I'm, if I could use the word, I'm not using it loosely, but being prophetic. If this church, if we, God's people, nationwide, worldwide, if we fail to meet God's spirit here, if God's Holy Ghost does not pour out on us, does not meet us here in a powerful way, we will not survive, but we will dry up, wither away, and die. A move of the Holy Ghost, as my title suggests this morning, is our greatest need. And action is required to obtain it by each and every one of us. Got a couple of ways here that we can obtain it I want to bring to our attention. The first is we need divine discontent. We need divine discontent. If we are not careful, we can become too comfortable with the status quo. There needs to be a spirit of divine discontent that overtakes us and pushes us as a church to a higher level and greater outpouring of his spirit. We need a divine discontent, something that doesn't set well with us if we stay with the status quo. If we come in service after service, experience just the same thing over and over again. There's got to be something that rises up inside of us that gets tired of it that gets weary of it, that pushes us to try and do something different, to challenge ourselves to go to a higher and greater level in God. In John chapter 4, the Pharisees, they were set out to get Jesus because his ministry was finding success. He was baptizing uh, more than they were. Jesus himself wasn't, but his followers, his disciples were baptizing many. So, to escape the Pharisees, to, to get out of their way and to continue his ministry. In John chapter 4, Jesus left Judea with his disciples and he headed towards Galilee. The Bible says that as this journey began, he needed to go through a place called Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. And as Jesus came to Samaria, he entered a city called Sychar and he sent his disciples away to go buy some meat. They were going to have some dinner there. John 4 and 6, reading through verse number 10, says, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And then there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, 
askest me to drink, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Somebody say living water. See, Jesus here in this instance, he's breaking protocol. As a Jewish man, as a Jewish rabbi, he's not supposed to be speaking to this woman of Samaria. She was what you would call a mixed race at the time. And, and so he's not supposed to be, it's against protocol. But he breaks it here to speak to this woman. It's a famous account. Many of us here have no doubt read this account. But he proceeds here to give her an idea of who he's dealing with. He kind of tears back the wrapping a little bit and lets her know who, he, who she's dealing with, who, he, who she's talking to. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying these things to you, the one that's saying, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. If she only understood who it was that she was encountering here, she would have asked for something far beyond what she had ever experienced up until this moment. And then the woman answers Jesus, and her answer here is interesting. She says in, in verse number 11 and 12, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle each and every generation? Where had Jesus obtained this living water? What was he talking about? She's asking. And whatever he had, how could it be greater than what was already before her in Jacob's well? This well had been there many, many years and had served many generations. Jesus was speaking in a spiritual sense, talking about a living water, something far beyond what she was experienced. But there seemed to be a level of contentment in the woman. She had been coming to the same well for years, and thus far it had satisfied her thirst. This location, this well was held in such high regard. This was Jacob's well. So she couldn't fathom how he had anything greater than what she had experienced. You have water that's greater than this is where our forefathers were. This is where Jacob was. Jacob dug this well. Jacob drank from this well. The fathers that came before us, they drink from this well. So you're telling me that you have something greater than what's right here? This has fed us for generations. This has quenched our thirst for so long. What could possibly be greater than this? Jesus answered, verse number 13, and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water, whosoever keeps coming back to this well is going to become thirsty. You're going to thirst again. You're going to get a, a thirst that can't be quenched. The, the mouth is going to become dry again. You're going to have to keep coming back and back and back again. But whosoever, he said, drink up the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Give me this water. Give me something new so I don't keep coming back to this same spot over and over again. Church, our fathers have built 
an incredibly strong foundation. We're enjoying great things. We're in a building we didn't build. Amen? I didn't sweat, bleed, and cry in this building when it was being built. And I'm thankful for it. Without, that's all right. I didn't stress through buying the property, Bishop Bruce. I have no idea, no clue. I'm just enjoying it. I'm just here enjoying it. But we can't become content, future generation, to just sit still, just stay here, just let it just come back over and over and over and over again. If we just keep coming back to the same, hey, we have great church services. We had a great praise and worship, worship service here today. We have it every Sunday. But that, well, that's our, that foundation's already been here. If we keep just coming back over and over and over again, it's just going to stay like this. And if this is what we're content with, then that's great. But in order to get beyond this, there needs to be a divine discontent There needs to be something that stirs up within us that says, I want to pray a little bit harder. I want to sell out just a little bit harder. I want to go above and beyond what I've experienced in this moment, beyond what the foundation has already been laid. It's been great. I'm enjoying it, but I don't want to stay here. I don't want to keep drinking from it over and over and over again. If we stay content, like the Samaritan woman learned, we thirst again. If we become satisfied with what we've experienced so far, we dry up and we die. We need a fresh well. We need a living water. We need new sacrifice. We need new sacrifice. We need a revelation like the Samaritan woman to come into this place every prayer room and say, Lord, give us a living water that we thirst not. Give us something to quench our thirst because I'm tired of being thirsty. I'm tired of coming to the same well over and over and over again, and I'm dry. We've got to avoid the dangers of contentment. We need a divine discontent to move us beyond our comfort zone. A fresh moving of the Holy Ghost A fresh moving of his spirit is our greatest need. We also need unity. We need unity. If we're going to experience a revival of his spirit, we need unity. The New Testament church was born out of unity. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Everybody was accounted for. Everybody was there. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. When the 120 faithful entered the upper room for prayer, they were of one accord and in one place. There wasn't division of purpose in that prayer room. They were all praying for the same thing in unison. 
God, give us a visitation. God, send us the promise that we've waited for for so long. That's what they were praying in unison with a purpose, in one accord, in one place. Understand this. We need unity. We will never experience a greater move of his spirit, which is what we need, if there is division among the people. Division is of the flesh, and flesh is contrary to the spirit. Paul rebuked the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3.3, saying, For ye are yet carnal. Why? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and what? Divisions. You're carnal, Corinth. Why? Because there's division among you. You're carnal. Our greatest need is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost A Holy Ghost revival, as the old song says, is our survival. Our church needs it. Our families, Lord knows they need it. Our city needs it. So we've got to join together in unity and pray for that promise. As Paul said, let's not walk as men walking after the flesh. Because as long as there's division, we will not expand and our altars will dry up. As long as there's division of purpose, as long as there's division of vision, then we will not expand and our altars will dry up. A move of the Holy Ghost is this church's greatest need. Understand we will never experience it if we are not unified. If we are not unified in purpose, we've got to have unity. Somebody say we've got to have unity. I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings here today. We must become desperate. Desperation, the Urban Dictionary defines the word desperate as someone who wants something so badly, they will go to extreme lengths to get it. I know you're thinking about toilet paper. Thank God we didn't see any of you on the news. Desperate is somebody who wants something so badly, you'll do anything to get it. There's a negative connotation, I believe, to desperation, but there's also a positive. There's also a positive. You don't mess with somebody who's desperate. You don't mess with somebody who their life depends on something. When somebody's messing with somebody's kids or their family or their spouse or their parents or whoever it is, and that family member becomes desperate, you don't stand in the way of that family member. I wonder how many of us here this morning, today, are desperate, desperate for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in our church, in our city, and in our family. We come here, we preach, we sing about it. God, send the rain. We need your spirit. We need this. We sing it. We get the goosebumps, glory bumps, excuse me. We run around, we shout. But how many of us? How many of us are desperate? How many of us are discontent and desperate? What lengths are you willing to go to for that living water? For that living water. Brother Locke mentioned it briefly in 2 Samuel 23. David was held up in the cave of Adullam during a time of battle against the Philistines. David 
life every day at, on the risks. He could die at any moment. He's battle-hardened, warrior, physically tired, weary, fighting the Philistines, his mortal enemy, and he's held up in this moment, 2 Samuel 23, in a cave. In a cave. And not too far in the distance was Bethlehem, his boyhood stomping grounds. Have you ever gone back to where you grew up? You start driving the streets. You say, I remember that place. I remember this place. You can almost feel, you can, you can sense certain things. You can, a smell reminds you of, of your childhood or a taste of something or, or, or seeing something, and you just get that nostalgic feeling. Kind of like when you go to Cracker Barrel. You start walking around and looking at all the stuff. I don't know about you, but when I go to Cracker Barrel, I get the over, uh, overcoming the, the, the urge, the strong urge to go home and watch Andy Griffith. When I go to Cracker Barrel. Anybody else? Can I get an amen? Or Beverly Hillbillies? Some of y'all woke up. Oh, you say, it's talking your language now, huh? But you get that sense of nostalgia. You get that sense of, this is what it used to be like. Because everything always used to be better, right? Back in my day, everything was always better. So David, he's looking out the cave of Adullam. He's looking out, and he sees Bethlehem off in the distance. And all of a sudden, he gets overtaken with this sense of nostalgia. He just closes his eyes, and he smells the streets of Bethlehem. He sees the school where he grew up. He looks at the streets where he used to walk down and hang out with his buddies. And then, and then he, sees, he sees this well, this well with water. And he remembers what it used to be like to drink from that well as a kid, to go through and just drop the bucket down in that well, lift it up on a hot day and start drinking that water, quench his thirst. So David sits there in that cave and he begins to close his eyes and he starts to get thirsty. He starts to think about that well in Bethlehem just in the distance. But there's only one problem. He'd go get it, but the Philistines were there. And if he goes over there where they are, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to go from bad to worse. But he says something out loud in 2 Samuel 23 and 15. The Bible says David longed inside his heart. He longed and said, Oh, that one would give me to drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. I wish somebody would just bring me a little taste of that water. He was overtaken with a sense of nostalgia. He, he missed it. He wanted it. He missed the way things used to be. He missed the way that water used to taste. So he spoke out loud, not thinking who was hearing, not thinking of who was next to him. He said, if, I, if somebody could just bring me just a taste, just a little bit. I don't care how big it is. I just want a taste of that water. In response to David's longing, which was not even a command, three of David's mighty men, their ears perked up. They jumped up out of that cave, went to the camp of the Philistines, snuck in, drew some water from that well, and brought it back to David. Brought it to his feet. Here's that water you wanted. Here's what you were thirsting for. Here's what you were longing for, David. David 
was so honored by the sacrifice of these men that he would not even drink it. He pushed it away. He felt unworthy to drink this water. He felt unworthy of it. But understand, in these three men, in these three guys, there was a drive inside of them. There was a desperation. They would do anything to get to that source of water. They would do anything risking their own life to get to that water which tasted so sweet, which was so good, which David was longing for. It didn't matter what their life was worth. It didn't matter what happened to them. They had to get to that water. They had to get to it. They would risk everything for David to have just one taste from that well. Jesus said in John 7, 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If you're thirsty, Jesus said, if you want a water, if you want something greater than what you've experienced, come and get it. Come unto me. Draw from this well. Come get it. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Spirit. No wonder David would write in Psalm 63, 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My soul is thirsty. My soul is parched. My soul is thirsty for thee. My flesh longeth. These are strong terms. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David's saying, I'm thirsty. There's no water. There's nothing here for me. My soul's thirsty. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm tired of experiencing over and over again the same thing. So Jesus is saying, if you're thirsty, if you want the water, if you want that life-giving source, and that life-giving source, church, is the Holy Ghost. It's His Spirit. It's what we survive on. It's what keeps us going. It's what separates us. It's what makes us different here than the rest of the churches on the street. It's the source of life. It's the Spirit. It's the flowing of the Holy Ghost. Jesus saying, if you're thirsty, if you're tired of being dry, then come unto me and get it. Risk what you've got to risk. Be discontent. Don't be satisfied. And come and get it. It's our greatest need, church. Without his spirit, we dry up. I'm using strong terms. Without his spirit, we dry up and we die. How desperate are we? How thirsty are we? What are we willing to fight through to obtain it? What are we willing to struggle through to get it? If you're a plumber here, you can, you can attest to this. If you're a, a building contractor, you know this. I had a friend one time that his water in his house completely stopped working. And they couldn't figure out a reason why it was not working. So they came out and they did some tests and sink water wasn't working, toilets weren't flushing bath water, nothing was working. So they did some tests. They wound up, they couldn't figure it out, so they dug, dug deep down inside. What happened was he didn't have any trees immediately around his house. He had some trees off in the distance that had begun to dry up. So the roots started growing under the ground. 
They made their way. They found their way to the source, the pipes under the house where the water was. They wrapped around the pipes, and the roots somehow penetrated the pipes, beat straight through them, entered into the pipes, and started sucking the water. Anybody ever heard of that? You can look up pictures on it. You'll see just roots wrapped around the pipes. But they found that the roots had, had become so desperate for water that the roots under the ground literally begin to look around and find where is the closest source of water so that we will not die and we can survive. There's something in the distance. So it fought through stony ground. It fought through rock. It went through hard clay. This was up in North Florida, so you get the clay up there, the hard clay. It fought through the clay, made its way, and it wrapped itself around that water source, penetrated the pipes, and began to suck it out and drink it. Church, we've got to be the same way. If we're dry and thirsty here today, you got to be willing to look off in the distance and say, I know where the well is. I know where the source is. And it doesn't matter what type of stony ground. It doesn't matter what type of attitudes and stuff i got to get through. It doesn't matter who says what to me on the way to the altar. It doesn't matter who looks at me cross-eyed and talks behind my back. I'm thirsty. I'm discontent. I'm not satisfied. So I'm making my way to the source. I'm making my way to the source. Somebody ought to praise God here this morning. Come on, somebody worship God for that living water. Somebody praise God for that living water. Come on, it's our survival. It's what saves our kids. It's what saves our families. It's what saves our schools. You want to know what our nation needs right now? It's living water. It's the Holy Ghost. Somebody say we need it. We need it. Somebody say that's a strong term. You can stand with me this morning. We need divine discontent. We need to be unified. We need desperation. And I can look out here today, and I can sense that some of you are still not convinced as to why we need the Holy Ghost. You've given me amens. You've been very polite today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Made me feel good. I won't go home feeling half as bad, so thank you. But I want to try one last time to convince you because I'm praying here today that God baptizes us with a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost. But understand, it doesn't stop here. We gotta keep climbing. We gotta keep going further and further. Now, I'm gonna try to convince you that you need, before you leave this service today, a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost, or you need the Holy Ghost altogether. It's the greatest thing that you need. If I don't convince you, then that's on you. I'm trying. So, you may be asking me, okay, why do I need it? i got a few reasons here, but in parentheses of my notes, I have but not limited to in small, in, in small print. So remember that. It's not limited to this. So if I leave you off the list, you still need it. The Holy Ghost, first of all, is not something separate from God himself. 
It's not something separate from Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is not an it. The Holy Ghost is a he. It's our our vocabulary to say it. We need it. No, we need he. We need him. He gives us peace. If you need peace here this morning, you need the Holy Ghost. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, prophesying, the prophet was, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. We identify that as the Holy Ghost. To whom he said, this is the rest. This is the rest. Wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. If you're burdened down today, if you are tired of life and circumstance, you need a dose of the Holy Ghost. He needs to give you rest. This is the refreshing, the prophet said, yet they would not hear. There's an opportunity for you to receive rest here today. No matter what battle's going on in your mind, no matter what darkness you're fighting, no matter what the world has brought upon you, He is your greatest need and a simple moving of His Spirit to come upon you with His power and His peace can renew joy and rest in your life like nothing else can. Somebody here today, you've searched in different places. You've searched near and far. You've gone to counseling. You've taken prescriptions for this and for that to alter your mindset. Today's the day you can let all of that go. He's your greatest need, and He can give you rest. Somebody say, He helps us pray. We need this today more than ever. What do I pray about? The world's in chaos. I don't even know where to begin. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit, somebody say the Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You don't know what to pray? Get down on your knees and say, God, help me to pray in the Spirit. God, lead me and guide me and help me to pray in the Spirit. Somebody needs to pray in the Spirit on behalf of your family. You've tried everything else. It's time to pray in the Spirit. He gives us power over the enemy. Isaiah 59 and 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, what? The Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. He gives us power over the enemy. He gives us power over the enemy. If you need power over the enemy this morning, if you've been defeated left and right, you need the Holy Ghost. You need his Spirit working in your life. You need to be rebaptized in the Holy Ghost. I don't know your background here today. I don't know. We've got maybe you're a visitor. What's all this about? I'd like to appeal to you here. One of the greatest reasons we need it is because without his spirit, we cannot be saved. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 and 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 9 says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. But then Paul said this, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, what? He is none of his. If you have not the Spirit living inside of you, then you're an orphan. You're not his. But I've got good news. Jesus said, Except a man be born of water and of spirit. How do I do that? It's found in the New Testament. Peter on the day of Pentecost was asked the exact question. There in Jerusalem, after their unified effort in the upper room, the men on the street of Jerusalem heard them speaking in other tongues and confused said, what shall we do then? After Peter preached his convicting message on salvation, they asked, what shall we do? What do we have to do? The greatest question you can ever ask in your life, I want to go to heaven. Amen? Everybody wants to go to heaven? So what do we need to do to be saved? Peter echoed Jesus in John 3 and 5, where Jesus said, you must be born of water and spirit. Peter echoed Jesus, revealing what that means. In Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Somebody say, born of water. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall, what? Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Baptized in Jesus' name, born of water, receiving the Holy Ghost, you're born of spirit. If you're not born of the spirit here today, then you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. And by faith, I'm believing if you need it here today that you're going to leave with the Holy Ghost. But it's up to you. you got to be willing to fight through a lot of stuff. you got to be willing to fight through a lot of doubt up here. Maybe the devil's already speaking to you saying that makes no sense. you got to be able to fight through that and believe it. I want to now open these altars. I'm believing God's going to pour out His Spirit. If you need peace in your life, if you need rest... I want you to come to these altars. You need the Holy Ghost. You're saying, Brother Justin, I've already got the Holy Ghost. Well, if you're dealing with all kinds of problems and turmoil and stress, he's your greatest need. He needs to rebaptize you, give you a fresh touch of his spirit here today. It's our life source. So if you need peace in your home, in your life, if you need rest, I invite you to come up here. God's going to pour out his spirit. If you've been struggling with how to pray, God wants to teach you how to pray in the Spirit here this morning. He's going to recruit some new prayer warriors. So I want you to come up to the front. If you need power over the enemy in your life, if you're struggling, if you're fighting certain things, if you're going through depression, if you're struggling with sin and temptation, God wants to give you the power of the enemy. His Spirit is going to raise up a standard against the enemy in your life. If you need the Holy Ghost, if you're not saved here this morning, Jesus wants to fill you with His Spirit. So I want to invite you to come up to the front. Nobody's looking at anybody. I want us to all lift our hands. Before we do this, I wonder if we could just take just a second. Because I, I really want, I really feel like the Lord wants to do something here. I feel like first, first off, no matter what we're going through, that we as a collective body, as a church, together, if we could just repent together. God wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to move. But first we need to get this, this flesh. We need to get it out of the way. And that's all of us. Not, you know, 
we, we're easy to judge to say the world's doing this. They're doing all this junk out there. You notice God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. He didn't say if they out there will do it. If those, those reprobates on the street will do it. He said, no, if my people will humble themselves and pray. He says, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. The world's in turmoil right now. Our greatest need is a Holy Ghost revival. But we've got to repent. We've got to come before the Lord with humility. So before the Lord pours out his spirit, because I believe he's going to do it, I want us to all, if we could, just for a moment, if we could repent. Would you lift your hands with me in your own way, in your own personal way? Would you pray to the Lord? Jesus, God, forgive us for flesh. Forgive us for division. Forgive us for anger and resentment. Forgive us, God, for speaking against my brother or my sister. Forgive me for bad thoughts. Forgive me for words spoken idly that I should not have. Forgive me for every working of the flesh that's gone on inside of me. Forgive me for temptation that I've entertained. Forgive me for things I've gone out and done in secret. Things I've looked at in secret. Things I've, I've spoken in secret. Things I've partaken in in secret. God, you know the secret parts. You know everything that goes on inside of me. So God, forgive us as your people. God, remove flesh from the equation right now. Rid us of ourselves, God. Rid us of ourselves in Jesus' name. Now I wonder if we could just thank the Lord for his mercy and grace. Thank you, Jesus. And now whatever you're in need of, if you need peace in your mind, you're going to receive a moving of the Holy Ghost. If you need the enemy defeated in your life, you're going to receive a moving of his spirit. If you need salvation, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. I wonder if I could have Bishop, if you could come and lead us in a prayer of faith. And as Bishop prays, if you could lift your hands up, if you could lift your voice up, whatever you need. He's our greatest need, and his spirit is here to meet that need. So, Bishop, could you pray the prayer of faith? And when he does that and when he's done, just cry out to God with the voice of triumph. Lift up your hands and allow the Lord to meet that need. Lord God, right now I open my heart and my soul. I open my very being unto you right now that you may pour the Holy Ghost within me. Come on, cry out to God. You gotta need him more than anything. You gotta need him enough to lift your voice, to lift your soul. God, right now, hear our cry. Let our cry come into your ears in heaven. Let us fill the throne room with our cry for you, God. Jesus, I worship you. I thank you for filling me with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for washing me in your blood. Thank you for forgiveness, for your grace, and for your mercy. Come on, you got to believe it more than anything. It is a promise from God. It is God's promise right now unto you. For it is a promise unto you and to your children and all them that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your voices. Come on, lift your voices right now. Come on, lift your voice right now. If you're worried about who's going to hear you, you're not desperate enough. 
If you're afraid of who might hear you, you're not hungry enough. Hallelujah. Come on, Jesus. I got to have it. I got to have it. I got to get it. It's got to be now. It's got to be today, Jesus. Come on, some of you that haven't spoken in tongues in a long time, this is your opportunity to break through the veil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.